0: Flip to Freedom, episode number 13. Hello again, my name is Sean Terran. I'd like to welcome you to the Flip to Freedom podcast. We're doing episode number 13. Now, I'm here to help you escape the nine to five and live the lifestyle of your dreams by learning how you can make a fortune flipping properties in your spare time, even if you're brand new and you're just getting started today. Now, in this episode, I'm going to discuss... Um, how to write a contract, what clauses you must have in your contract before presenting it to a seller, and a story about two different investors. Now, um, if you'd like to receive my comprehensive blueprint, it's a 129-page ebook on exactly how to quit your job in 19 weeks or less, please visit flip2freedom.com. All right. Now I went to a story about these uh, two investors. Um, now I was working with the uh, two of these different investors, and the first one um, was a gentleman that was working a job. Um, his wife was a stay-at-home mom, taking care of the kids, and very motivated. Sat down with him, and and uh, he basically uh, what I did was I laid out an entire plan on how he could uh, start getting leads coming in be able to take those leads, and, uh, and be able to, to make income and quit his job. This was about this was two, three weeks ago. Um, so I sat down with him, and, and he basically took the information and went and applied it immediately. Went out and put out bandit signs on the weekend, put 100 uh, on a Friday, 100 on a Saturday, kept on doing that. Also went out and, uh, and sent uh, a yellow letter that his wife wrote, hand-wrote these yellow letters, and sent them to... Um, to the absentee owners, a list that they got for uh, absentee owners. So um, if you want to visit, uh, go to yellowletter.com, and you can kind of see what a yellow letter is. It's, it's one of our main marketing pieces that we use uh, to get unbelievable response um, and be able to get some uh, great deals. Um, but that is in our Marketing for Sellers, and you can listen to that. And so one of the previous episodes. I think it's episode number uh, four or five. Um, or you can download... Um, Flip to Freedom ebook, and it's in there as well. Now, so that's 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 the first one. You know, the first investor I worked with, very motivated, took the information, applied it, took action, pushed through it, and put the information out, put the letters out, and they now have two deals under contract that came from various forms of marketing that they were doing. Um, they spent. Very, very little money, just on you know notepad and paper and, and, and some signs to put out that they hand wrote. Uh, so there, there was not a lot of money in marketing, but they got they got two deals, and you know each deal could result in a five thousand plus profit in that form. So for the first you know handful of uh, weeks getting started, they could have a, a pretty good profit margin. Now that's the first investor took action, uh, pushed through any obstacles, and uh, made it work. Now second investor I met with. Met with over at a Starbucks, sat down, and this investor actually went through – not really an investor. It was a, a person wanting to get involved in real estate. Um, went through all these different courses. Took, you know, I don't want to name the names or anything like that, but took all these different, very, very expensive courses. Over $1,000 apiece on each, you know, each one. Took all the information. Um, was currently unemployed. And sat down, I pretty much laid out a plan. I said, hey, listen, if you follow this plan specifically, you'll get results. Didn't have a lot of money to do any marketing. So I said, hey, listen, start with bandit signs. That's that's something, if you have very little money, you can put bandit signs out on weekends. You can start getting calls, leads coming in, and those leads will turn into deals, and those deals will turn into money. So he, I told him, say said, hey, start putting those signs out. Um, and see, the thing is, is that when, when, when you get started, you, know, you start to build what, what's happening. You build momentum, you're sending letters out. Um, you get signs that are going out. you build the momentum, you start getting more and more calls coming in every single week because of the, the uh, previous marketing that you've done earlier in, in the week or months. So So what he does, he goes out and uh, he puts out, you know I told him to put out a 100, he puts out 25 and uh, calls me up and says, hey, I just want to let you know. I put out 25 signs just as a test to see if this would work now we know it works we've got results off it i put signs out every weekend um i don't we have a crew that actually puts out signs for us now um but you know we know it works there's results there's there's deals uh that you that we even other people have been working with got made money off i mean that and there's a success story on there go to our case studies on our website at fliptyfreedom.com and is a story of a soul marketing a guy named Matt didn't know anybody here in Phoenix um, got started and just putting out Bandit signs made seventy eight hundred dollars in his first three weeks. So they it works for sure. So but he's gonna go test it. Okay? So he puts out twenty five just to test it calls me up and says hey uh, I put out twenty five I didn't get any calls I'm gonna go look look for a job. I said, okay. So uh, go ahead. You know, I I'm, I'm not going to convince the guy, um, you know, that this works. And I don't have to. I don't have. First off, I don't have the time to uh, convince him to do it. And second off, um, I didn't really want to. So, so what's the difference between these two? The difference is is that they have the same tools. I mean, both use bandit signs. They could use letters if they wanted. Um, they both were new to real estate, didn't know, not a lot, actually, the, you know, person B, uh, you know, he, he had more information. He took all these courses and this information, um, than person A and, uh, so, and I don't want to put the names in and stuff, but the bottom line is, is that, is that the difference, the major difference between them was action. They listened, right? Took action. And they had tenacity to basic, and relentless to basically pursue that goal. They wanted it bad enough. Now, I happen to read this quote I thought was, was awesome by Louis Pasteur from 1822 to 1895. And he says this, Let me tell you the secret that has led me to my goal. My strength lies solely in my tenacity. That is great. So his secret, and the secret that first investors is telling you about, the secret was tenacity. Went out, he put the signs out, put the letters out, kept on doing it. I, there was a time they called me up and went, I don't know, you know, was, you know, the second weekend they had some calls coming in, deals weren't, they weren't, you know, any good deals. But they, I said, listen, keep at it, keep doing it, keep putting signs out, and you will get a deal. For every twenty-five calls you'll get, you'll get. One deal out of that. You'll get 25 calls, 25 are gonna, 24 of them aren't going to work. But there is be one out of that 25 that will work. So the question is, when you get started in real estate, which one are you going to be? Are you going to be like investor A that's going to go out there and make stuff happen and not get discouraged and just plow through and have the tenacity to make it work? Are you going to be like investor B that goes out and just test it? Put out 25 signs and see if it works. Well, listen, you know what? If you want to pursue success and you want to pursue a lifestyle that most people only dream of, you don't test it. You just do it. You just go out and you make it happen. You know, when I first got started, like I told you, I went out knocking on doors. I didn't go knock on five doors and test it. I went out and did it. I just made it. I went out and knocked on as many as I had to knock on until I got a deal. So be that, be like that person A, make it happen, do whatever it takes, push through any type of obstacles you have and make it happen. All right, enough on that. Let's move on. Now let's talk about contracts. Contracts are very important. You've uh, marketed, let's say you put the signs out, you got the letters, now you got people calling in, now you're going to set an appointment, you're going to go meet with the seller, you're going to sit down with the seller and they say, yes, I'm in, let's do it. I, I want to sell. Let's go. Now, you want to be prepared. You want to have your information with you. You want to have a comparable sales. You want to have – I usually print out a tax sheet, everything about the property. Um, you can find probably in your local tax assessor site. Um, also, too, I, uh, I, I have contracts already pre-filled out and done. Now, I like to use the um, regular residential purchase contract that every realtor uses here locally in the area. Now, you can get that contract from your board of Realtors. Um, they can have it or just call call up a realtor. Now you know by this point, you should be making uh, putting your team together and having a realtor you can work with or refer leads to, and, and they can get you comparable sales via MLS. So um, if you're working with a realtor, they should be able to send you via PDF, email, um, a blank, you know contract that they use in you know every single day in their business to write contracts that is the absolute best contract to use because it's it's a it's, it's a state uh you know air is the it's the not the arizona it's the board of realtors contract that they specifically use now what i would do what i did what i we what i do is i have the all the contracts pre-filled out i have the contract out and i go through each page and i fill out as much information as i can um Obviously, with not having the seller's information, but all the information I can, I go through each contract. Now, if you have a question about what to fill out on the contract, you can, uh, you can call that realtor friend, and they will help walk you through the contract um, on what, uh, what questions you might have. So you can fill out, get everything completely filled out beforehand. Um, I I even have it down to the the initials in the corners everything but the signature but I have everything completely filled out so all I have to do is enter the sellers name the property information the parcel number if it asks for that um, and any other terms and conditions I'd like to add and that's it and we're signing the contract all right so what do you want to do is is once you get that blank contract print out a copy fill it out and then you want to make sure you have three clauses now, these three clauses are imperative. You must have them in each one of your contracts. And these are what what is called your out clauses. Um, and this will, let's say you get a property under contract and you have a 30-day close. You have a 10-day inspection, per se, and you got a 30-day close. If, for some reason, you can't sell the property within those 10 days, you can't sell the property within the time frame, the 30 days, these clauses will allow you to get out of the contract. Now, first clause is this. It's contract subject to partner's approval. Now, what this means is that that the whole contract is subject to an a partner's approval. And your partner could be your cash buyer. Your partner could be your wife. Your partner could be anything, what, 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 your husband, whatever. Um, but it, the contract is completely subject to partner's approval. And for, if for some reason you can't sell it, and uh, and you have a cash buyer and that they they don't want the property. you can get out of that contract and say, listen, my partner didn't approve and you can get out of it down to the last second. Um, now, I don't like to tie up sellers. Um, you know, if, if I know, if I, if I get the title information back on the property and I put it out, you know, you know, for sale to put out in the market, if we can't sell that property fairly quickly, if I know we're getting a lot of resistance on price, then I'll, I'll let the seller out of the contract or I'll go back and renegotiate a pre- better price um, to get the deal done. But, you know, I don't like to time all the way up to the 30 days and back out in the last minute. You know, I don't like that. I don't like people doing that to me. And, and uh, I'm sure sellers don't like that done to them. So, all right. Now the other one is contract subject to an acceptable appraisal by buyer. Now what happens is you get these mini appraisals on the property. Cost forty bucks was what, we, what, what uh, our appraiser charges. We get a mini appraisal. Now if the mini appraisal isn't acceptable, it's always good. You can take that and you can get out of the contract for that. Get completely walk away from the contract, no risk at all. Um, same thing with a you know, contract is subject to partner's approval. All these are just are, are no risk. Um, But what you do is you can get a mini appraisal on the property and uh, they give you value. If the value comes in lower, it gives you an opportunity to go back and renegotiate the deal again and try to get a lower price or back out of the deal. The other one is in the event of the buyer's default, the deposit shall be the sole remedy. Now, what does that mean? Let's say you didn't send the email, whatever, or, or, or to the title company saying your partner didn't approve. You you know you didn't let them know that you wanted to back out because of an acceptable acceptable appraisal, um, and you just blew it all off. And the seller comes back and says, "Hey, I want you to you know perform on this contract. I'm going to sue you." Well, this line right here says, "In the event of a buyer's default," that means you defaulted on the property as the buyer. The deposits shall be the sole remedy. Now. A deposit you put on a contract most of the time, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I put a ten dollar deposit so they can keep the ten dollars. You know, sometimes if it's a uh, seller's a little bit more savvy. Um, now these are these are dealing with motivated sellers. Obviously, if you're dealing with a bank-owned property, if you're dealing with uh, um, you know some some other you know bank-owned, or if you're buying it the foreclosure courthouse stuff, this is a completely different. This is with motivated sellers. Um, but in the event of a default. Let's say you default on it, completely forget the other clauses, then your sole remedy—the sole remedy that the seller could potentially sue you for—would just be just the deposit, which could be ten dollars, or sometimes if you're going to you know do a deposit, a more savvy investor, uh, savvy seller, maybe five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or whatever. But that is your total, um, basically stop loss, your risk. Okay. Now, like I said, this is for. Signing contracts with motivated sellers. I'm going to talk about next week on how to make offers to on um, bank-owned properties. That's a complete different deal. They're going to want to see earnest money deposit. They're going to want to see proof of funds. And they're going to want to see, um, uh, you know, I mean, they have detailed addendums that they uh, they had you sign. Um, so we're going to talk about that. But right now, I'm talking about motivated sellers. 99% of the time, never put a deposit down. Okay. Now, do not... Have or sign a contract um, with a motivated seller without this information. All right. Now I can tell you my second deal I ever did. Um, first deal I made eleven thousand eight dollars on, and the second deal I ever did. You know, I I was I had no fear because I, I guess I just didn't know. So and I did pretty much everything wrong, and I still sold the deal and made money. This was a small little tiny, I think it was like 600 square foot, trashed house in Phoenix. Um, terrible. I mean, The thing was gutted. It was a mess. Um, so I gutted under contract. I met the seller, uh, and he was very savvy. He went out and, and um, I actually bid, I bid against other investors. He called me up and said, hey, I got an offer for this. You know, you want to either match it or beat it. You know, actually, if you want to beat it, you can have it. Um, then I said, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll match it. Or I actually, I beat it by, by I think a thousand dollars. He called me up again and said, Hey, you just went higher. Do you want that? You know, so I get completely played. <laughs> this guy, I think talked me up another five or $6,000 in the deal more than I actually wanted to do. But I got in this heated bidding war and it was my second deal and I didn't really know. Um, and I thought I could, you know, be able to sell it. So I, uh, he said, okay, you won, you got it. That's great. I met him over at the house. Um, his house, and he said, okay, bring a $2,000 cashier's check um, for the earnest money deposit. And, you know, at the time, you know, I I didn't know you had to make the deposit check directly to the title company. I didn't know you had to have these clauses in the contract. I mean, I was, you know, I I can't believe I made it this far, Uh, learned all this stuff. But anyways, so I go meet the guy at the house. I give him the $2,000. Cashier's check made out to him. Um, signed the contract, and he gave me basically 15 days to sell this six, six, seven hundred, whatever it is, square foot shack in in a Phoenix. So I called my number one guy that bought the first deal. I wrote, brought him by the house, and I said, "Hey, here it is. I got a deal. If you want to buy it." He looked, took one look at that thing, drove up in his big old Lexus, uh, and took one look at that thing and laughed. He goes, uh, "I don't think there's anything I can do with this property." I was like, "Oh man. I said I didn't have a cash buyers list, I didn't have an email list, I didn't have a website, I didn't have anything. Just basically had the property tied up." So I said, "Well, who do you know that might be interested in this property?" And he said, "Well, I got a guy. He's a fairly new investor. He might be interested in. It. I can I can refer you to him." So he gave me his number. I called him up. Had him come over and look at the property. And he said, yeah, you know, I think I can make it work. Um, so we talked numbers. And, and, and basically, I uh, he had his dad come over. And his dad was actually doing the financing on it. And I had his dad write me a check for my earnest money of 2000 and a $2,000 profit. I assigned him the contract right there in the spot. He didn't even know if title was there. But he wrote a personal check to me. And I went, I ran down a bank and cashed it. Um but I mean, I, I mean, I mean, it's completely unconventional the way we do uh, stuff now. But anyways, he got the property, he got clean title. Um, I I made two thousand dollars on the deal, my second deal. I got my two thousand dollars back, so I had you know got my four thousand dollars. And he went and completely rehabbed the thing and uh, sold it, and made a profit. But um, I didn't have the you know clauses in there. I didn't have the pre filled out contract. I didn't have you know. I I pretty much got bid up. More than I was exp- you know, wanted to pay. Every every other investor was passing on it um, at that price. So, um, but I still happened to sell it and make a profit. I look back on that now, and I'm going, "Wow, was I? I can't believe I got out of that deal." Because um, they could have easily come back and sued me for a specific performance, and I would have had to find a way to purchase that property. Um, never ever give a deposit to a seller. Always give a. De- deposit, um, to the title company. Now, once you have the contract, you'll have basically, uh, you know, you have all your your contracts filled out. I I suggest making 10 copies of the contract. So you have those ready to go. So if you have a lead, I I have them with, with me in the car. So if someone calls me up and they want to sell their house right then and there, I can be over at their house and I can be filling out a contract. Um, and now when you meet with a seller, all you got to do is sit down And you have all the pre filled out information, all there. All you got to do is just put in their specific contact information, everything, and you're good to go. Um, Now, in the next episode, like I said, I am going to talk about the secrets of making offers on bank owned properties. It's a complete different deal. Uh, You're not allowed to put these different clauses in there, but there are out clauses um, that you can do to get your properties, get your bank owned property deals accepted. Um, And I'm telling you, Got to be aggressive in this market, Um, and uh, and I'll tell tell you the secrets that we do. I mean, we put tons of bank-owned offers in. I I don't like you know doing bank-owned deals. I'd rather much rather work with motivated sellers. And I suggest starting off um, at first, you definitely work with motivated sellers. But uh, bank-owned property is great, too, um, but you have to specifically know exactly what to look for in the MLS, number one, and number two, exactly how to craft the offer so you can get it accepted. And then if for some reason you can't flip or sell the property, then you have an out clause. And we'll talk about that in the next episode. All right? So remember, if you'd like to download my free comprehensive blueprint on how to quit your job in 19 weeks or less, please visit FLIP, the number two Freedom.com. Until next time, I wish you ultimate success in your real estate investing business, and uh, we will see you next week. Take care, and God bless.